I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. This is Paige. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. I have my coffee, and we're going to be going to the Bible here shortly. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, quite possibly my favorite chapter in all of Hebrews. And it's going to give us a little bit of insight into what it means to live by faith. Uh, it makes sense because he's talking to a Jewish audience, the writer of Hebrews. Makes sense, right? That's why I called it Hebrews. And the impetus up till now, the point he's been making, is he's been comparing Yeshua to uh, Moses, to the priests, He's, he's comparing the new covenant under that Yeshua uh, inaugurated to the old covenant. He's comparing how Jesus is superior to angels, Moses. He, he's making a big case about who Yeshua was and why what he brings, what he brought, what he purchased with his sacrifice is far superior to everything that the old system was a picture of the temple, its sacrifices, its festivals, everything. Uh, and we talked a little bit about how this letter was written really it, to, to three groups of Jews. And I think it was written to Jerusalem where you would find all three of these groups together. And the three groups are simply this. You have Messianic Hebraic Jews, and I call them Hebraic because they live around Jerusalem. They're in Israel. They're still conversant, and use, they use the Hebrew language. And uh, then you have the Hellenistic Jews, Jews that live outside of Israel, but come back to Jerusalem on occasion for uh, special high holy days, etc. But they're, they're believers. They're Messianic Jews, but the Hellenistic Jews, but they have they've adopted some of the flavor of their Greek... Roman culture around them. So they're a little bit separate and they're not, many of them have lost use of the Hebrew language and are more familiar with the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew version of Torah. And then you have the non-believing Torah observant adherence to Judaism. Now, why would they be in the midst of Jews? Well, they're still Jews and there is a very big uh, attraction in that nationalistic pride that Jews have with their nation and, and how that God chose that nation out of all the nations in the world to be the one that uh, would be special and chosen. That draws people together. And even if the adherents to Judaism uh, aren't necessarily followers in Yeshua, there would still be fellowship between these groups. And there would be times of teaching in the temple where they would hear about Yeshua from these Messianic Jews. So there's there would be non-believing Jews 
in the midst of believing Jews. We see that all over today in, in our churches. Mankind hasn't changed. Um, sometimes externals bring people of like temperament together that might not totally believe all the same. In, in every church, there's a church visible and the church invisible. Uh, the church visible is everybody who shows up on Sunday, and the church invisible are those who would still be around when tribulation and trials hit. Whenever you hear read about a falling away in the New Testament, it's not talking about true believers falling away from God. True believers will not fall away from God. John mentions it in his epistle where he says, don't be worried about those who left us, those who went out from us. By leaving us, they proved they were never part of us. But for a time, the hint is there, that for a time, they were part of this fellowship, but they weren't part of the family of God. So these three groups are being addressed. And in today's passage, in Hebrews chapter 11, he's going to describe what faith in Yeshua looks like. But he's going to bring the argument in the terms of a Torah that a Torah observant Jew would really, really, really understand. All right, so let's get started. Now, as we read through Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to keep three things in mind. One, the life of faith may be said to have at least three components. Number one would be, it involves a life of coming to God and seeking him earnestly. This point is in keeping with the author's challenge to approach or draw near to God, we spoke of earlier, chapter 4 and 10. Thus, God's people are called to live lives of radical openness to and in conversation with God. Number two, this life of faith involves believing that God exists. It's absurd to think that a person can sincerely come to God in prayer without a firm confidence in his existence. A foundational belief in God supports further acts of faith in which the believer comes to God for help. Number three, this life of faith involves confidence that God will reward those who exercise such faith. The acts of persons expressing confidence in the living God do not go unnoticed or unrewarded. God, by his nature and in accordance with his promises, rewards those who act in faith towards him. So keep all three of these things in mind as we read through chapter 11. All right, let's get into chapter 11. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, future, and assurance about what we do not see in the present. This is what the ancients were commended for. This famous discourse on faithful men and women of the Old Testament begins and ends with commentary that alerts the reader to the specific aspect of Old Testament faith highlighted here, the certainty of receiving what God has promised but not yet given. Following our examples of this principle, faith carries us through the present to the future. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life 
so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Again, let's look up here at our three points. Faith involves coming to God, seeking him earnestly. Faith involves believing that God exists. And faith involves confidence that God will reward those who exercise this faith. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that's in keeping with faith. This is a great story in the Old Testament. Noah spent a hundred years building this ark, believing that what God had told him was going to come to pass, even though what he told him was coming was something nobody had ever seen before. Nobody had seen rain. The thought of water coming out of the sky was absurd. And the fact that the world would be destroyed would be even more absurd. Noah had faith in the God that he followed to believe the words that came from this God that he followed. And because he was certain that what God said was true, he lived his present life within those boundaries. He built the ark in preparation for something that was going to happen a hundred years out. Now, I'm not sure if he understood, I can't remember the, enough of the story to know if he knew that it was going to be a hundred years. I don't think there was a time constraint put on, on Noah. God just said, build. And he started building. And when he was done, and the animals were on the ark, God unleashed his destruction. So Noah believed God and acted in the present based on what he knew that God was said was coming in the future. Very important point there. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. God just said, in the future, you're going to have a place. Didn't tell him about where that place was. Just says, you're going to have a place. And he got up and went, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, even though he was a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered God, him, faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Again, another person who believed what most people would consider to be unrealistic. Abraham, you're going to be the father of countless millions of descendants. And he and his wife had not even had one child, and they were well past childbearing age. He still believed God's promise of the future and acted in the present accordingly. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. 
They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, think who he's talking to here, Jewish people. He's telling them that the promises of God are pointing to a future time of resolution, a future time of completion. Where they are is not where they're going to be. And this would be an important thing because within five or six years, as we know, Jerusalem would and the temple would be destroyed by Rome. And Torah observant Judaism centered around the temple would be done with. Levitical priesthood, done with. Sacrifices, done with. The thing that had been the center of their life was going to go away. And what were they going to do when that anchor was taken away? If they were followers of God, they'd be looking at the future and looking at the promises that God has made and realize that he is faithful and has something for them better than what was taken. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and he worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace, for the sake of Christ, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Do you see what he did here? He brought in Messiah into the picture. Even though Messiah had not shown up in Moses' time, he's still tying Moses to Jesus. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a cool little trick right here. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward, to these Jews whose temple is about to be taken away whose way of life was about to be immeasurably shattered and changed and rearranged. There is something of greater value. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. 
by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Do you see a common thread here? People who were living by faith looked into the future and believed the God who called them, and they acted in accordance with what was going to be, not with the way things were. Jericho was a powerful city, powerful walls. They felt that the walls were impregnable. But Rahab was convinced of who God was, at least to the point where she believed his servants, to the spies that she helped. And then she acted in accordance with that faith. And what more shall we say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. All right, all these famous people in the Old Testament, none of them received what had been promised. Because in God's timeline, he's waiting for us. In God's timeline, and again, he's talking to the Jewish people here, God had planned something better for us, Jewish people, so that only together with us would these Old Testament heroes of faith be made complete. Or That's what perfect means. It means complete. Their stories are complete because we are living in the end, the realization of what they were looking forward to. People who live by faith, again, have to know who God is and really believe that he's one who rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you're living by faith, you're talking with God. If you're living by faith, you are letting the agape love of God flow through you to the world around you. You're a light on a hill. You're the preserving salt. Um, If you are living by faith, you're loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you're loving your neighbor as yourself. It's, I just find this, this passage is so encouraging. The fact that all these famous people did what they did. Not receiving what was promised. But they lived as if it were completed. That's faith. Faith, let's go back up to the very beginning and read that definition of faith again. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we don't see. 
Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. In other words, I believe what God said will come true. It's not here yet, but that matters not to me. And it's the assurance about what we don't see. We, we know that God is around us. If his favor surrounds us like a shield, if his angels, a ministering spirit sent forth to minister to us, if all this is true, how do you live your life? You'll live your life in a way that will be radically different than the world around you. The world around you is all caught up in what's happening now. They're not looking into the future. I look at today's uh, culture, and especially in social media, and people get all bent out of shape, are getting all bent out of shape about what's happening in today's news cycle. And they rant and they rave and they virtue signal and they, they're, uh, they, um, they go crazy about what's happening today. And then tomorrow another news cycle comes, another issue comes up, and now these people are talking about that. They get so caught up in the present, they're not looking at the future. We, as people of God, as people of faith, we have the incredible gift of knowing a God and of being known by a God, the God. We know a God who is firmly attached to his promises. If God promises something, it's going to be so. Is it so now? Maybe not, but it doesn't matter. He's the God who keeps his promises. He promised all these Old Testament giants of the faith what was coming. And they died not receiving it, but they died hoping, believing. Isn't that amazing? Faith is a confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we do not see. Isn't that amazing? Well, ladies and jelly spoons, that is it for today. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wait till we start with that tomorrow. You're going to love it. This is Mr. G. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.